Matthew chapter seven, verses one through six this morning. Um, Let's begin in verses one and two. Um, I'm going to read it. Judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. As we enter into chapter seven, Jesus is going to continue his teaching to his disciples uh, in the, about the kingdom of God. You know, when you come to Christ, you br- you're brought into the kingdom of God. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You weren't, you once weren't born again, but now you are, you didn't have a spirit. Now you do. And so it's kind of like being born. Now, how do you live in this new world? That's the idea. And so Jesus is teaching us what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. And in the backdrop of his teaching of the day was that there were the religious Pharisees who were the, uh, were the example of what everyone who was a religious Jew was to be and to act like, and all these types of things. But what the problem was with these leaders, most of them is that they had an outward religiosity, an outward appearance of of righteousness, but inwardly they were not, they were actually actors. That's who they were. They were acting out their religion, but they really didn't have a relationship with God. And Jesus doesn't want us to be actors. We all have that propensity within us. And Jesus says, no actors in here, no actors in the kingdom. It has to be true from the inside out. And so Jesus, what we saw in chapter six is that he starts addressing the believer's life, the inward part of the believer's life, our motives and why we would, we do what we do and our attitudes and all of these types of things. And he, and he's began by warning and teaching about our motives and practicing righteousness. Obviously, if you're a Christian, you're going to be practicing righteousness. Well, what does that mean? He gave us three examples. He says in your giving, in your praying and in your fasting. And those are three examples he gave just a cross section of, of righteous acts that we have as believers. And he says, and he says to us there, listen, don't, don't be like the Pharisees who did these things in such a way for the praise of men. And that's a tendency we have as believers to come to church for the praise of others or to appease others or to give. And when we give, we do it in such a way. So people see what we're doing and, and, and we receive our praise or to fast and Oh man, I've been fasting and praying all day. Look how spiritual I am. Everybody church, right? I mean, this, these, these things are, are propensities within us. And Jesus says, if that's your motive, if that's the reason you're doing what you're doing, then you have your reward. You know, it's like that whole, uh, price is right sound. Boom, boom, you know, it's just bad. That's like, it's just, who wants the praise of people? I mean, it's great for a second, but it's, it's not eternal. But instead, he encourages us that first our righteousness is to be practiced personally and privately. You know, and that, that's faith because no one can see. That's true faith. Are you just a person who goes to church and yet doesn't have a relationship with God? So what? <laughs> you know, do you pray just at the pulpit or just in front of people? Or are you a person who prays in private to God? That's faith. And, and are you a person who gives just so people can see, or do you give when no one else is watching your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing even that's another example. So, so Jesus wants to encourage us. He encourages to, to first begin by practicing our relationship with the Lord privately and personally before it becomes in a public situation. So that's, that's what he encourages us. In. And he says, your father who sees what's happening in secret, he's going to reward you opening. We talked about, 
openly. And we talked about how wonderful that is when you experience that, when you pray something in your heart of hearts, when you're alone with the Lord and you just start crying out to him and you call out to him and you lay something before him and then he answers you. It's like, it's not about everyone else. It's about his glory. And you know, you have this relationship with him and it's just, it's something that is so far beyond the praise of men. Um, not only that God answers, but man, it's just, it's, I don't know, it transcends everything, but this isn't to say that we don't have a public aspect to our faith. Now the world wants you to take that part says, you know, pray in private, do your deeds in private. And so what I, and we kind of can take that and twist that to mean, it's like, yeah, I don't have to show my faith at all. It can just be this quiet thing that no one ever sees. Listen, by the nature of who we're related to, we shine. But that doesn't start with the outward shining. It starts with the inward, right? And then it, by the very nature of who we are with him, then it shines out. That's what a Christian is. One who's been changed and transformed by the grace of God. And that life flows out and people can't help but see what God has done in us. Amen. Yes. Amen. Uh, and so there is that public thing, but we don't do what we do for the glory of men. We do it for the glory of God. Jesus said, uh, at some place he said, uh, you know, do your good works in such a way that they, that men see your works and they glorify your father is in, is in heaven. And so that's how we're to live. Um, so Jesus taught us to live for the glory of God and not for the praise of men. And Jesus also taught us about uh, in chapter six regarding our inward devotion and our affections towards money and materialism. This is something that gets addressed right away. If you start to follow the Lord, because before you knew the Lord, you're trusting in money. You're trusting in stuff. You're, you're going around the rat race of life. But when you come to know God, guess what? Who's your provider? Your father in heaven. You begin to trust him. You don't trust in all your stuff. Doesn't mean you don't get up and go to work, but that's not where your trust is. Your trust is in the Lord. And so you don't have to be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear or how you're going to live or where you're going to go and all those types of things. God's got you for, he's got you taken care of. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And he reminds the disciples and he reminds us, listen, if I take care of the birds who are insignificant, how much more value are you? What, what do you think I'm going to do with you? I'm going to take care of you. And this is Jesus is opening our minds to who our heavenly father is. He's not an ogre. He's not sitting there just heavy hammer. He's, he's a loving father. Who's taking care of his children who want, who desires to provide. And Jesus is going to go into this in just a bit. He's going to say, listen, you being evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more your heavenly father uh, you know, who, who's good in heaven. He's going to give you uh, the Holy spirit and, and good gifts. And Luke and Matthew, they kind of interchange those things, but God, I mean, you parents, we can relate. Amen. Don't we want to give our kids good gifts and things that won't hurt them? Of course we withhold things, but seek first the kingdom and I'll take care of you. You know, I mean, how many of your kids, you know, uh, when growing up, even gave a second thought to, to, to having, you know, your provision for them and your food as good parents, as is evil parents, as Jesus would say, it's like, no, you just did that out of the loving kindness of your heart. You took care of them. You put a roof over their head. You bought them school clothes. You did all those types of things. You know what I mean? Uh, now I know we have bad examples, but Jesus was just saying the general heart of a parent, right? You just love. Well, how much more your heavenly father would take care of you. Just seek first the kingdom. 
Why are you worrying about all this stuff? So Jesus is teaching us about our inward motives. He says, you can't have two masters. You're going to either love one and hate the other. You cannot love money. You cannot love materialism and love God at the same time. You will have, you will gravitate towards one or the other. And he says, as a disciple, I want you to follow God. I want you to trust in God. I want you to love God and not let money be the thing in your life. And I'll take care of all those other things. And if God happens to give you money, yay, but it's not the idol and the rule of your life. He is. And those things are just tools for his glory. Amen. And so he challenges us to prioritize the kingdom of God and to be anxious for nothing. And he promised you to take care of us. All these things that should just sit deep in your heart, especially in the age and the time we're living in to be able to just rest in your father. Amen. And now in verse 12 in chapter seven, Jesus moves from focusing on the inward life, although it still is true there, but the inward life to the outward life from how we uh, serve and love and worship God to how we live righteously in relationship to one another. Okay. And so here in chapter seven, again, again, this is, this is keeping in lines with a warning against hypocrisy and in, in, in encouragement and righteousness in chapter seven, Jesus starts off by warning us about judging one another. And he says in verse one, judge not that you be not judged. How many of you know that verse before you came to Christ? <laughs> How many of you quoted that verse before you came to Christ? How many of you quoted that verse when you're in Christ? Yeah. You know, verse one is probably the most misquoted scriptures that in our modern day, you know, what's happened is, is obviously no one wants to be judged. How many is like, Hey, I want to be judged here. Anybody like I could never. Yeah. Especially you know, people don't want to be judged when they're in danger of it, <laughs> right? They, they tend to pull out this verse when they know they need to be judged or they should deserve judgment. And so people will often use this verse to shut down any criticism of their lives and actions. They'll use this to shut down any criticism of their lives and actions, and then twist that into somehow saying that because Jesus says not to judge, then that means there's no judgment and I can live however I want without any consequences. Don't judge me. I can do whatever I want because Jesus said, don't judge. You've got to know at a very base level that has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about here. Amen. Okay. So that's nowhere near what Jesus is saying. If, if those same people would just skip down to verse six, look at verse six. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Is there a little judgment going on there? How are you supposed to know who the pigs and the dogs are if you're not able to judge and have discernment? So when you come to a verse, keep reading, get the context. Amen. Because it's not throwing out total judgment. There's actually something Jesus is talking about. It's not saying that you can live however you want and do whatever you want. And you can't judge me in all that type of state. That's not, that's not all that type of stuff. That's not what it's saying, but make no mistake. If you read verse one, it said, judge not that you be not judged. Did it say that? So what do you think Jesus is saying? Don't judge unless you want to be judged. That's what he's saying. <laughs> So when you judge, realize when you judge, what's going to happen? You're going to be judged. 
So that's the premise that Jesus has. That's the point. That's the principle that Jesus wants to get across to his disciples that if they judge, if we judge, we're going to be judged. And he tells us in verse two, he gives a little more here. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used to you. Now, one of the attitudes that Jesus warns about is, is being critical of others. And the context here is hypocrisy. It's being uh, hypocritical and hypercritical with others. And that's just something I put together, hypocritical and hypercritical with others. And this is something every human being struggles with, uh, with from one way or the other, right? With one way or the other. Uh, no doubt as Jesus is speaking to disciples, he has the scribes and Pharisees in mind. These guys were the religious leaders and they were the hypercritical judges of Israel. It wasn't what they, they weren't called a judge. They were called a judge as Israel, as Israel's leaders. But the problem was they did it unjustly. They did it uh, with hypocritical hearts. And that's, that's, that's the backdrop of which Jesus is saying this. And we saw that the scribes and Pharisees, their hypocrisy and their hypercritical hearts, it was on display constantly against Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter 12, or you will remember when we get there sometime in the future, um, in Matthew 12, where Jesus, he frees a demon possessed man who was blind and he was mute. I mean, can you imagine that someone was blind and is mute and they're freaking out and no one understands what's going on. And Jesus sees and what's going on and realizes this man is demon possessed and he frees him. And this man now can speak and he can see and he can move. I mean, what a miraculous thing. And people were absolutely amazed at what was going on in front of them. And they were going, is this what we were reading about in our old Testament, is this the son of David? Is this the Messiah? And before they can even finish their sentence, basically the Pharisees jump in and they say, Nope, this is the reason and the ability and, and why Jesus is doing this is because he's empowered by a demon. He's doing this by the power of Beelzebub, right? That's what's going on. And so they, they, they sat there and they attributed something that was not true against something. I mean, the total opposite truth against Jesus. They were just, they were casting judgment upon the Lord in front of all these people. Now, why would they do that? That's a good question. Why would they do that? Why would they judge Jesus in such a way? What was going on in them? That's a good question to ask. That's the heart of what's going on here. And in other places, they tried to trap Jesus so that people would hate, hate him and they would love them. They're constantly trying to redirect the affections and the praises of people back towards them. That's what's going on. Their hearts were wicked and it came out in their judgment of others. You know, they, they live for the praises of men. And, And this happened over and over until their judgment finally came to its climax when they judged Jesus and called him a liar. They called him a blasphemer and they sent him to the cross and he died. That's how far it went. They had murder in their hearts. And so when when the truth is they were the hypocrites, they were the ones who were actually guilty of blasphemy. They were the ones 
who were deserving death. And unless we throw stones at them, unless pastor Matt throws stones at them, isn't that our tendency at all as well as humans is, is to start to judge others and to tear people down and do all these types of things. Um, it's really easy to be critical of others, to point out the sins of others, isn't it? And now Jesus did not have sin, but I'm just saying for us, it's easy to do that. And the reasons are many. Sometimes it's blatantly evil and all can see, man, this is flat out evil. And we all kind of, kind of throw out our condemnation on it. Someone is doing something wrong or some, sometimes it's that we have hate in our hearts towards people. And so we strike at them in judgment. You know, we hate people because of what they do and we strike out at them and we talk smack or whatever it is. Sometimes we criticize and judge because we want uh, to redirect the praise of men back towards us like the Pharisees. Oh, they're getting attention. So let's cut them down and, and undermine them and make them look bad in everybody else's eyes. So, so, so people will, will put that back on me. And, and then, you know, on the heels of that, or we're fooled into thinking that by putting others down, that somehow we're building ourselves up we're, that we're better than them and not sinful like them. Oh, I thank God that I am not like that man over there. Is this just going on in my heart or is that, is this anybody else struggle with this? I'm not casting stones here. I'm saying this is common within our hearts and it is Jesus is calling us out on it. Lord, forgive me, forgive us. And Jesus lets us know that judging people is risky business because we're not good judges. We're horrible judges. Really bad. We are prone to hard hearts and blindness. It is so easy for me to see the sin in others and not see the sin of my own life. As Jeremiah 17, nine says, if you don't know this verse, I would underline it several different ways written in the old Testament. Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. I like that version. Desperately wicked, desperately sick. Who can understand it? realize you have this enemy beating within you that is betraying you and moving you places that you don't want to go and play. And it's, it's, it's deceitful. And, and this, that's what Jesus is driving at when he warns us not to judge others, lest we be judged. We're not good judges because our hearts deceive us. We're blind to our own sin. There's a great illustration of this in the old Testament. Flip over to second Samuel chapter 12, second Samuel chapter 12. <clears throat> That's left. I know we've never gone left before. Um, don't worry. It's there. Second, <laughs> second Samuel chapter 12. This is where the prophet Nathan confronts King David over his sin. Now, I don't know you, but uh, about you, but confronting Middle Eastern kings over their failures is not on the top of my list. Anybody else? Yeah, it's just not. It's not wise. So here's what the king had done. He had coveted. He didn't go out to war when he should have gone to war. He was on his roof and he saw a woman bathing and her name was Bathsheba for some reason. Um, and and he coveted her. He he pulled her in and he committed adultery with her. She became pregnant and, and, and she was the wife of one of his military officials named Uriah. 
And so in an attempt to cover that up, he goes and tries to get Uriah, take him off the front line, show him a good time. Hopefully, hey, go be with your wife. And therefore, you know, he won't know whose, whose kid it is. This is the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, right? And then that didn't work because he was so faithful to David. No, I won't do that because I, how can I do this when my men are on the front line? You know, all this, you know, just a noble guy. David says, okay, to his commander, he says, go send Uriah to the front line and put him in the heat of battle so that he dies. And he does. And Uriah dies. Well, David's sitting with this and he has Bathsheba. He has this, she's pregnant and it's a mess. And this, this goes on for like eight or nine months. And David has this hanging over him and here he is ruling and leading and so several months later, and this is where we pick up in second Samuel 12 verses one through seven, several months later, the Lord sent a prophet Nathan, the prophet Nathan to c- confront David over this. Let's read it. I'll read it and you can follow. It says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a, c- a certain city, one rich and the other was poor. And the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. And he used, he used to eat of its morsels and drink from its cup and, and lie in its arms. And it was like a daughter to him. And so there's this picture of this guy who had really nothing. And, and he had this one lamb and he just took care of it and loved it and tended to it. And it was in, in comparison to this guy who had tons of stuff. And so verse four says, now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own uh, flock or herd to prepare for a guest who had come to him. But he took a poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. It's like he was unwilling to take from the guy who had a bunch, but he took from, he took from the person who had nothing. He just took it out of his arms. Like what, what in the world? David saw this happening and this anger welled up within him at this unrighteousness that had happened and rightly so. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man has done what this man has done. He deserves to die. In verse six, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse seven, and Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're him. And this is when David broke before the Lord. He realized his hypocrisy. And then he writes Psalm 51. And you go read that. If that's, that's your homework for today. Go read Psalm 51 as David just was just so indignant towards this guy and realized he was guilty of the very same thing that he cast judgment upon. It was him. It was him. You see, David was quick to judge and condemn others when he could not see his own sin. He's hype. He was hypercritical and hypocritical in judgment. And David had such anger towards that man and proceeded to render judgment on him, not knowing that he was him. And Jesus says with the judgment you render and the measure you use, it's going to be used on you. It's going to be used on you. What does that mean? That's important for us to know. Romans chapter one. If you flip over right again to Romans chapter one. And really go to chapter two, verse one, 
while I'm going there. Romans 1 tells us the total about a total moral collapse of society. Paul's building a case that everybody needs Jesus. And he starts with the heathens who don't know God and they start worshiping idols. And then God gives them over to sin. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, adultery just being everywhere and immorality and promiscuity just penetrates the society. And then God gives them over again. And then the homosexuality and all these things start inundating society. And it just degrades and degrades and degrades until people are teaching people what is down is up and what is up is down. It just is falling apart. Does it ring a bell? Anyone? And we all say, yeah, that's just God's judgments coming upon all these people and they deserve it. And God, you know, come, you know, and you, you know, by the chapter, we're saying, yeah, but chapter, flip to chapter two, verse one, verse five. Well, the first five verses, sorry. Chapter two, verse one, look what it says. Therefore you have no excuse. Oh man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. Uh-oh. Are we who condemn them guilty under the law of God for practicing anything like that? This is what Jesus is warning about being hypocritical judges. It's so easy to see the sin in others, but so hard to see our own sin. Do we see our own sin? Oh, sure. I see clearly. This is why it's so important to be around the body of Christ and be around one another and to be in that in relationship, I guess, with, with people who can call you on your stuff lovingly. But Paul goes on in verse two, he says, we know that judge the judgment. Sorry, excuse me. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He, he isn't dismissing God's judgment upon chapter one people. He's saying, that's right. God is judging those people. He's not dismissing his righteousness, but the point is, uh, verse three, but do you suppose, oh man, you who judge those who practice such things in chapter one, and yet you do them yourselves that you will escape the judgment of God. Uh Oh, now how many of you go? Okay, well, okay. So we, we judge them, but I'm saved by grace. That's is yeah, totally. And that's what it says verse four. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Or do you presume I'm saved by grace, by faith? I'm not like those guys because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And Paul's saying, you've got a wrong view of grace. It's not grace to continue to sin. It's grace to take you out of sin. It's his kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. Did the road, did the thing just get narrower for us? I mean, how narrow is the narrow? We cast judgment on others, but do we realize that we are often guilty of those same things? If we just shifted around and looked, Jesus is going, are you a hypocrite? And this is what the world sees of us, which is interesting quite often is that we're hypocritical in our judgment of them. Which is worse to be a heathen and live in sin or to be a religious person and living in sin. 
would you figure, and this is Paul's progression. Of course, if people are living like this and God will judge them, but you who know the law of God, if you're living like that, what do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? I know eternal salvation. I get these things, but Jesus obviously puts attention in here all the time. Why does he do that? So we don't play on the fence because the saved people run, <laughs> run to grace and, and repent and move. But those who aren't, they fall back in. This is what Jesus is saying. He'll go on later to say, you know, people say, Lord, Lord, not everybody says to me, Lord, Lord, they're going to be saved. You're fooled. It's those who do the will of God. So it's not that only that we're saved by grace that is actually lived out in our life. The fruit of righteousness is bared out in our lives because God is in us. You see, there is actually faith at work. This is a hard teaching. I know, but this is what he's, you've got to keep, get this right. You know, we can say, well, I'm a Christian saved by grace through faith. It's different. I get an a get out of jail free card. There is a sense in which that is true that if we sin, because you read first John and all these types of things where it's like, man, Jesus has covered our sin. Amen. And yes, we do sin. But in first John, John says, if you sin, like John, what world are you on? He's on the holy world. The one who has said to be a Christian is to repent and to follow and to, and to, be broken and poor in spirit over our sin and to not live in it anymore, but to be called out. You see what I'm saying? There's this tension that God gives us. And I think this is for our benefit. Paul says, you don't understand the grace of God. It isn't grace to sin. And Paul will go to that later of Romans. If you read chapter six, where it says, you know, should we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. I mean, how many of you enjoy being in that relationship with someone just constantly takes advantage of you? Well, God's like, he's righteous for everything, for everybody. He's not. So the righteous are those who've been called out. Yes, we've been saved, but we've also repented. We turn, we should, we bear fruits worthy of repentance. Are we perfect? No, but is God leading his people in that? Amen. So there's a, there's a direction and a life that we have there. I, I know I have to develop that further for you, but he says in verse five, it says, but because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Who's he talking to chapter one people? Or is he talking to chapter two, verse one through five people, chapter two, verse one through five people, right? That's who he's talking to the religious people, the religious person with the moral righteousness. And yet they don't, follow the Lord. And I don't necessarily think this is talking about saved people necessarily It is talking about, I think those religious people, the religious Jews, but, but this is hypocrisy. And this is what Jesus is warning about. Just look at his illustration. Verse three. I know that's like, how in the world could I keep verse three, right? We're going to zoom now. Ready? Verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own. He's just the master teacher he uses two words speck. And then you got a, a log, right? Man, we, it's so easy to see the speck in someone else's eye. Pretty easy. You're just constantly searching. Oh, speck, 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 speck. Jesus, do you notice the log in your own eye? Why is that? He asks that. Why? He says the question, why do you see that? But you don't see this. Yeah, we got to be careful of that. Especially if we're rendering out judgment. 
You don't see this and you're under Jesus says, man, you're going to render judgment, but the measure in the way you use it, it'll be used back on you. Be careful because you can't see, be slow to judge. Don't jump into this stuff. Don't have a life like that. Leave judgment up to God. Keep going. Verse four, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the log, when there's a log in your own eye, again, same word speck and log, but this time it's like, you see it, but you want to help someone out. You want to take it out of their eye. You want to fix them. Anybody else want to fix someone else? We've got a speck in there. You see the speck in their eye, but you can't see the log in your own eye. Anyone else? No, not you. Of course not. You don't have logs in your eyes. I mean, that's the, all right. Verse five, what does Jesus say? You hypocrite. What are we supposed to do? You hypocrite. This is what Jesus is dealing with. He's talking to his disciples. This is what Jesus is driving about at hypocrisy in our judgment of others. First, what you do. It's not that you don't judge, but the first thing you do is what? Take the log out of your own eye. And obviously that's the context is let God help you take the log out of your own. Let God reveal this, be a person who's first judging yourself and, and opening up your heart to God before you go judge others, right? Take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here's the principle before you begin to judge others, look at yourself. It isn't that sin is to be ignored. It's that we're to be to judge righteously. God desires that we judge righteously like he does. And the problem is we're horrible at it. And so we need to take the speck out of our own eye. Obviously this is a work of the Holy spirit. Amen. So when you see someone else start asking inwardly, okay, what have I got going on? God, how blind am I? And by the way, you know, Christian counseling, any Christian counseling that's worth its salt, the counselor has to confront their own sin before dealing with the sin of others. And this is the way the Lord would have us love one another, by the way, not to just let us run around in our sin because there's supposed to be a purifying effect of the church. Right. But what's that? What's the context of that purity man's humility. I know that I'm have a propensity towards logs in my own eye. And so Lord help me. And my heart is not to condemn and convict and, and, and judge one another, but, but to help them. That's what Jesus says there. Listen, that's the heart of a disciple. I want to help you. Don't you want to help me in my shortcomings and where I'm not growing in Christ? And man, I don't want to have someone with a log in there. I come and tell me what's going on. I want someone who has taken a log out of their life and comes in humility and knows their own propensity towards sin. Uh, it was Galatians six, one, right? Someone read that for me. I know that's the verse in my head, but. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, you are spiritual restore someone in a spirit of humility, lest you be overtaken by the same thing, that pride that's within our heart. And so we're to approach one another humility and, and so we are to see that speck in our eye and let the Lord take it out. And, and the believer's heart is to help while the hypocrite's heart is to hurt. Right? The believer's heart is to help someone. The hypocrite's heart is to hurt. Make sense? We want to, a hypocrite is to tear down others and can judge and convict and all that stuff for their own reasons and purposes while the believer's heart is to 
bring them to the Lord or to, to bring light to their lives and all these types of things. And, and yes, our, our love, um, in our love, we're to address the sin in others' lives, but first in our own. And, and by the way, this whole teaching, and, and I'm, I'm going to jump out of this into another passage here in a second, but this whole teaching is bookmarked between verse one, which says, judge not lest you be judged. And then verse 12, which says, so whatever you wish that others would do, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Judge others the way you want to be judged. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Think about that. That's the, that's the bookmark there. Now, right on the heels of this, Jesus says in verse six, and this is our final verse, do not give to the dogs what is holy and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I think even in our culture, those are heavy words, calling people dogs and pigs, anyone? But there was a cultural context there because what was, what was going on is, is he was talking about unclean animals in the Jewish society, unclean. These aren't like puppies. They're street dogs. Any of you spent time in the third world, like man, gnarly looking dogs, like one eye, like no hair. I mean, pita has got some work to do over there. So I'm just saying there's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty crazy. You go down to Mexico and, and there's just, and they're, and they will bite you and they'll, and you'll get diseases and die or whatever. I don't know. I've been all over the place, Philippines and stuff like that. It's there's, there's some gnarly dogs and, and he's talking about pigs, these unclean things. But the point here, we'll come back to that. But I like what David Guzik said on this, when it says, don't give to dogs what is holy and don't throw pearls before pigs, lest they trample you on them underfoot and turn and attack you. He says, David Guzik says, after he warned us against judgmental attitudes and self-blind criticism, Jesus here reminds us that he did not mean to imply that people of his kingdom suspend all discernment. I love that. But they must discern that there are some good and precious things that should not be given to those who will receive them with contempt. And this is why I view Sunday mornings, not necessarily as an evangelical outreach. I view it as a time of equipping and giving precious things to the saints. Sure. Those things do happen, but this is a gathering of believers. And, and by the way, if you're not a believer, we welcome you, but mainly I view this as training the church because you are the evangelists. We're bringing people to Christ. You go out, you are equipped, you go, you live. I'm not going to be in your job, your house, your world, your life. You are, you are the salt and light of the world. Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 It doesn't mean this is an evangelist. We can't have evangelistic bents to it. The word of God is fresh, but man, the precious things of the word of God, the explanation of the things of God are, are given here to me, to you from the Lord. Amen. And, and so the, the, this is a natural outcome of taking the plank out of your own eyes that you have discernment by God's grace and be able to see clearly. And although part of that clarity is being able to help one another, the other part of that clarity is be able to determine those who do not value the things of the kingdom, who are the dogs and the pigs, so to speak. And, and what the, what he's saying here about the, the dogs and the pigs is that they're unclean animals. I mean, obviously how many of you like, set your China for your dog. Some of, some people do. I, I don't even, I can't even do this in America anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's like, they don't value 
things that are precious. You know what I'm saying? You don't do that. They, they don't value it. It's not in their nature to value the things that are precious. That's the point. Don't take what's holy. And so a Jew is sitting there going, man, you got a street dog and you're taking something that was set apart for the holy things of God. And you take those things and you sit there and present it to a street dog. What do you think is going to happen? It's not going to value it. And what's going to happen at the end of that? They're going to turn and they're going to bite you. Make sense. And same with the bigs. They're not going to value it. You're trying to put pearls on a pig. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? And I, I know it's like, we're going, well, don't you realize this person is precious? And don't you real understand that? I mean, how could you call someone a dog or a pig? Listen, this is Jesus calling people dogs and pigs. And he's using this stark imagery. And he does this because he needs us to know that there are people who will, who do hate the things of God. And they will turn on you and they will trample you and they will kill you. Be discerning. So what you just told me to love my enemies. Absolutely. Love them. Do good to them. Pray for them. But don't give them what's precious. Don't sit there and say, Hey, person who doesn't value women and, 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 and who, who's a rapist here spend time with this woman. I love. No, I mean, that's just common sense. Anybody, right? Jesus is saying, same with the things of the kingdom. There are people out there who are going to value And Who does he have in mind? The Pharisees, be careful of these guys. They're going to turn and kill on you. Like they're going to do they kill you. Like they're going to do on me. Don't invest in them. Don't do these things. And, and you're going, well, how do I know? And that's Jesus's point. You have to grow in your discernment. And not to have a judgmental spirit about it. We're not sitting there condemning everybody, but you need to recognize to have the spiritual ability to understand who is a dog and a pig and who is a son and a daughter. I know this is, I know it's hard communicating these things, but this is the imagery that Jesus uses. Jesus says by their very nature, they won't value the precious things. They will ruin them. They will turn and attack you. And so I think Jesus is saying here, it could be in the context of, of correction because Jesus is taking the plank out of your own eye. It might be, although you are, uh, he could be saying something like there's someone in sin and you try to counsel them and help them. Has this ever happened to you? You try to counsel and help someone, but they don't care about the counsel. They don't care. And you keep pouring into them and then they turn on you and bite you when you're trying to give them the most precious things that could help them and give them life. Be discerning. That could be the context here, but I think it's safe to say that Jesus is telling his disciples, be careful and prayerful, careful and prayerful who they invest the things of God in. Let me give you an example. Jesus did this. He lived this out. Flip over to Matthew 13. While you're making your way over to Matthew 13. So on the one hand, we're to love our enemies and pray for them. But the other hand, we're warned to steer clear of giving what is precious to those who hate the truth. We don't give what is holy, what is precious to people who would turn and hate those things. Now, listen, God might ask you to walk alongside someone. I mean, that's how he saves sinners. Amen. But obviously he's talking about someone who's viciously opposed. And, and this is what God wants us to have is, is a heart for the lost, obviously, but discernment in doing it. Amen. Because guess what? The enemy can use those people to waste your time, talent, and treasure when you should be doing 
other things for the Lord. And I don't want to say that in a, in a pious type of way, but we need to be discerning. And, and so here's an example. This is the way Jesus lived. Matthew chapter 13. We'll get there one day. But Jesus just in the first 12 verses, he just lays out the principle of the, the sower and, and the, the, sorry, the parable of the sower where he takes the seed and spreads it out on four different types of ground. He just says that parable to the masses in verse 10, where we pick up, it says, then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them, to the group, the masses in parables? And he answered, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given, man. That's pretty crushing to you. It has been given to them. It has not. That seems unfair, but actually it isn't. There's a reason Jesus is saying that. And we find out as Jesus goes on, just skip down to verse 13. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables because seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear and nor do they understand. Listen, I, if I give them spiritual things, they don't, they're not going to see it. They're not going to care. They're not going to understand. So therefore I speak to them in parables. Those who will, will come out. Those who won't, won't. And this is why Jesus spent time with the masses. He healed them, called them. And those who came out, came out, but those who didn't, didn't. And he wasn't going to invest more in them, but he spent time with his disciples. Case in point, flip over to John 17, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 17. This is at the end of Jesus's life. He's about to die. He's about to go like that night. He's going to go, he's going to go get betrayed and, and all these things. And we're on, we're right here. He says in, in Matthew and John chapter 17, he's praying to the father. And he says this in verses six through nine, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours, they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you for. I have given them your words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. These are people who hear the word of God. They receive it. They believe they're his. And he says in verse nine, what does he say there? I am not praying Well, verse eight. No, uh, Yes, no, it's at verse nine. Sorry. He says, I am praying for them. That's who he's praying for. But he says, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. You see, Jesus was going to be giving that which was holy to his sons and daughters, but the, he was not going to be giving that which was precious to those who would not value what he was giving, would not take it in, believe and receive. Now Jesus had ultimate discernment. How about you? <laughs> I fall short. Amen. Judge one night, unless you be judged. Right. And, and so how do, how do we operate like this? How do we know who to invest our lives into and all these types of things? Jesus had ultimate discernment. And so I, I, I would just say, here's some, here's some really good indicators. Take the plank out of your own eye. Number one, number two, pray, pray for God to lead you and who to invest in and look for those who are poor in spirit. Those who are broken over their sin, who you've seen the spirit of God working in, who are mourning over their sin, who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Right, Matthew, right where we started from the beginning. Look for those people in whom the spirit of God is working. Amen. You know what it's like because it's happened to you. 
and be sensitive by the way to the spirit of God, keeping in step with him, right? Be sensitive to the spirit because quite often he'll have us walk beside a Paul or someone, right? So we don't want to discount everything, but as a general principle, be discerning, invest in people who are going to value things. Doesn't mean you cast the seed, you cast the seed wide and broad. Of course, the gospel gets spread. We're good to everybody. We're kind. But as far as then drilling down into someone's life, this is what he says. Be sensitive, right? And invest in them, pour into them, give to them, give them the treasure. But to those who hate truth, who despise the truth, who reject the truth, who don't, who don't take it into their lives, pray for them, love them, encourage them, be good to them, but be careful lest they turn on you and attack you. That's the Jesus we, we follow. That's the kingdom we're in. It cuts us and it cuts everyone, but it's a good kind of cut. Amen. Man, heavy stuff. Convicted. This, I, I was planning to go through verse 14, but I'm like, oh man, I'm just getting cut up here in the first six verses. Anybody else like, like Lord, big time fail. A lot of judging, not much discernment. Oh God, forgive me. Yeah. Amen. So less, less judgment church, more confession, more mercy, more, more grace in our lives. Leave the big picture up to God. Amen. And may we not back away from that self inspection because God wants us to move to the next step of helping one another, but we can't do it. If we've got the big old two by four in our own eye, right? And if we're all walking around as a church and see one of us with a two bar four in our eyes, it's up to us to love them. Right. Amen. But make sure we don't have our own go thing going on. Amen. Gosh, more like Jesus. Lord, help us. Amen. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Lord, your, your, your word is so high and so lofty and that's where you are. You're seated above it all. And, and we're seated with you, Lord. So do this work in our hearts. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for our hypocrisy and our judgment. Lord, may it have no more place at our table in our homes and our lives and our conversation deal with that in our hearts. God, forgive us. And these inner workings of our hearts of, of our insecurities and all this kind of stuff, Lord, will you work them out? Will you help us to confess that and get it out and to see ourselves rightly before your throne? And may we live in love in relationship to the world around us and righteousness and truth. Maybe we be preachers of truth, livers, livers of truth. <laughs> and also, um, Lord, um, just testimony of your, of your grace in our lives. And so God, uh, cleanse us, forgive us, and now empower us to go live these lives. And we pray this, that would start this moment, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.